0: For the message that the Lord has put on my heart to share with you this morning, just start off with a thought. How do you pray for a loved one that you've seen that has drifted away from the Lord? How do we pray for our community, our nation, that we see that has drifting away and farther away from the Lord? If you would turn to Exodus chapter 32. Now as you're turning there, I'll give you just the background. Oh, does anybody need a Bible? Sorry. Raise your hand, we can bring you one. I hope everybody's good. As returning there, I just give a background about where we're at in Scripture here. Israel has, has been free from Egypt here. They have seen the Lord do many great wonders and works. They have, he, he did all those to, to the Egyptians there, and He brought Israel to the Red Sea. He parted the Red Sea. They saw that miracle, they saw the Lord working for their freedom. To save them out of the bondage that they were in, they've come to Mount Sinai and they heard the Lord's voice up on the mountain and they were afraid. And they told Moses, hey, You go up there, we're going to stay back here. So they knew the Lord was speaking to them and for them and it was there to, to save and preserve them. At this particular point, as we begin uh, chapter 32, verse 1, Moses has been up on the mountain for about 40 days. All right. And he's been conversing with the Lord. He's been getting the word from the Lord. And I could imagine Moses' heart as he was up there, hearing all these revelations from God, getting the Ten Commandments that God wrote with his own hand, just to see that and watch that. I imagine he was excited, saying, I can't wait to take this down and to share this with my people. I imagine it's way more than what I've got. Like, Lord, you've given me this word to share this morning. That would be Moses' excitement. He's sitting there conversing with the Lord. Okay? But as we begin... In verse 1 we're going to begin with the people now it says now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him come make us gods that shall go before us for as for this Moses the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt we do not know what has become of him they saw Moses God's work the delay 40 days they had just seen all the miracle that God had done for them, to save them, to give them freedom. Yet, in a span of just 40 days, they would like, oh, we don't know what's going on. They knew God was up there talking to them, but they were impatient. Impatience is often the cause of impulsive actions. I know I'm pretty guilty of that myself. I've learned many a hard lesson from the Lord on being patient and waiting on him, and hopefully I've learned the last of that I pray that I have. But Israel hadn't yet grown in faith in the Lord. And in the span of less than 40 days, they had, they had gathered up pretty much as a mob would do, a mob mentality, and came before Aaron telling him this. Notice they also say the man. They're referring to Moses alone. They had completely forgotten all what the Lord has done. That's often what happens to those of our family, our friends, our community, our nation. They forgot what the Lord has done for them. And they begin to drift away and say, what happened to that man that brought us up? They started looking to Moses. To verse 2 and 3, Aaron now. Moses had left Aaron in charge. Aaron was responsible. And they say to Aaron, as this mob mentality, they had said that to Aaron. And Aaron's response back, break off the golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So, all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and they brought them to Aaron. Aaron, instead of praying, seeking the Lord's guidance, he saw the mob gather mentality and he just sort of went with it. And he told them to break off all this gold and bring it to them. And the people eagerly did. How generous are we in giving to the idols in our lives, more so than we give to the Lord at times? Verse 4, and Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool, and he made it a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. He fashioned it with an engraving tool. Aaron didn't make a mistake here. He didn't go, oops, sorry, my bad, I, you know, I didn't mean to do that. It took time. It took time to melt that gold and to form it and take an engraving tool and made. it. He had plenty of time to stop and think Am I doing the right thing? Have you ever reflected in your life and prayed to the Lord, Lord, am I following your will? Am I doing the right thing? And find oh maybe I'm not, or maybe I am. I try to check myself for that as often as possible. It's good to ensure that we're following the Lord. Aaron didn't take that step. And that's what led even farther down this path. I look at our nation, I look at our community, and I see that the same way as, as Moses will see this nation of Israel, that they don't lean towards the Lord. They follow their own thoughts, their own desires. And they spend time in pursuing their own lusts, so to speak. And they said, this is your God. Aaron was probably flattered. Oh, look what I created, and everybody likes what I did. And maybe that's a good thing. How quickly people seem to forget, and they migrate towards, as Chuck Smith, as I read, comment on this, every foolish doctrine that's out there. How many churches in America say they're worshiping the Lord? Yet they're following some sort of off the wall, foolish doctrine and not following the Lord as he would have them, as he would have Israel do at this point. Israel exchanged the glory of the true and living God for an image of an animal at this point. In verse 5, so when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron, Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. So first he noticed that Aaron saw it. He perceived it. He had a look at it. Oh, wow. These people really liked what I did here. I'm going to go with that. He noted the popular response. He never again. He didn't seek the Lord's response. He noted the popular response. And he says, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. So Aaron didn't take away the Lord out of this. He added the golden calf. Now this, we'll find out in a minute, angers of the Lord. But I'd like to cover at this point why this would anger the Lord. In John chapter chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus tells us that God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And as Israel will later learn here in Deuteronomy, Moses will record Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. The Lord tells them, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God is a spirit. We must worship him with our spirit. And in truth, we cannot look to an object. We cannot look to an idol. I think of, well, I, I hard to say it this way. I think of the Catholic Church most often, but I think of many other churches. You ever heard of something called like the Shroud of Turin? People look towards objects, and they want to worship something that they can see. Versus worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. Verse 6 records that then they rose early on the next day. They offered burnt offerings and they brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. They rose up early the next day. Boy, how often when we're following our idols, our things, that we'll get up early for that. I'm going to get up early to go to the beach. I'm going to get up early because I've got to go catch this sporting event. I've got to get up early. And whatever that, that tends to, not saying that anything's so bad, but that people tend to, to worship our own self that way. But well, when it comes to doing something for the Lord, oh, I'm too tired. I can't, I, can't come to, I can't come to church more than one night a week. What is that? I can't do something for the Lord. I got this going on. I got, you know, my kids got all these activities going on. I don't have time to study my Bible in the morning. I'll, I'll say a quick prayer and I'm good to go. Here was time for a big party. seemed to me like it was more of a um, self-flattering praise that they were doing themselves, like entertainment. Note just two chapters earlier in Exodus, before Moses went up on the mount, he had a talk with Israel, and Israel had said, they would do all that the Lord spoke. They had agreed to do all that the Lord would speak. In Exodus 19, verse 8, they had agreed to wait and hear the word of the Lord. In 40 days, they had given up on their own promise. But they were having a good time with the party with this idol. Now, if we look to verse 7 and 8, we look to the Lord's response to idol worship, to things that are not worshiping the Lord as he would have. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down. For your people, who you've brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them, and they have made themselves a molded calf, and worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Notice our Lord says, For your people. He turns to Moses and says, Your people. God's about to disown them. He doesn't say they're my people. He says they're your people. They've turned aside quickly. How quickly do we forget all the miracles that the Lord has done in our life? How quickly did Israel forget all the miracles that the Lord did to bring them out of captivity? How quickly does our nation and our country forget all that the Lord has done for it? There's a hymn, just a little older hymn, Called "Come Thou Fountain of Every Blessing." If you're not familiar with that hymn, the person who penned that has a verse in it that came to my mind as I read this: "Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it; prone to leave, leave the Lord that I love." The hymnist uh, knew that our hearts are prone, our nature is prone to seek after its own self-satisfaction and its own, and not after things of the Lord. At times, how quickly and easily. I am one shiny object off onto something else and go, no, Lord, help me keep my focus upon you. Israel did not do this, though. Now, notice our Lord also says they have made for themselves and they said this. See, God knew exactly what they said down there. God knew exactly what was happening down there. Israel may have ignored God, but God did not ignore them. That we know that our Lord, we will be accountable for all that we say and do before Him. God knows what they were saying down there. And in verse 9, and the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff necked people. Stiff necked, the Hebrew word when I looked up its definition, means somebody that's hard, that's difficult, that's stubborn. It's sort of a farmer's metaphor for an ox or horse that won't respond to the rope when tugged. Just a stubborn old mule kind of a thing. Being stiff-necked. Not something you want the Lord to say of you. I would. But God had seen and had enough. And he says in verse 10, Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. You ever had somebody irritate you so much that you were like, you know what, let me alone. Let me alone, I'm sure we ought." That's the point that our Lord was having with Israel here. That's the point that their, their actions had meant to our Lord. When he says that his wrath may burn hot against them, he may consume them, that means he means to make an end to them, to finish them, that they would be destroyed. Now he says to Moses, keep in mind that Moses was raised in Egypt as a prince, Okay. He knew what authority, he knew what to rule meant. He knew what that power looked like. And when God says to him, I will make of you a great nation, what an offer. If Moses only knew at that point what the next 40 years were going to bring, that he was going to end up wandering around in the desert and listen to their moaning and their groaning, might have chosen differently, I don't know. (laughs) He didn't have a view of the future. If God made that offer to you today, he said, you know, we want to make America great again, to steal that phrase. We want our country that we say is one nation under God to be great and for the Lord again. If God were to come to you and say, hey, how about I wipe out this whole nation? I'll make it great, but I'll start with you. When you see all the corruption that goes on, when you see the, the, the drug abuse and the crime and, and the politicians and the, all that goes on in the news and the tabloids, How would you respond to that offer? In verse 11, and this is where we get into how to pray for a nation, we're going to see Moses' beautiful prayer back to the Lord. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, with great power and a mighty hand? Now the word pleaded there by the Hebrew word means to be weak, to be afflicted, to grieve, To be sorry. Moses pleaded with the Lord out of a sorrowful heart. He didn't like the sound to hear that the Lord was about to consume the nation of Israel. He didn't fatalistically say, Well, whatever God will do, He's going to do. He didn't look over and say, well, we've got a bunch of corrupt politicians and there's just a bunch of druggies downtown. They're about to get the wrath of the God one day. Lord's going to return one day and they're going to get what's coming to them. Whatever God's going to do is going to do. That's not what Moses did. Israel's down there sinning grievously before the Lord. Angered him to the point where he was like, let me alone, I'm about to consume them. Moses' heart was a love for his people. One. He noted that Also, he says, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? The very first thing Moses did was give the people back to the Lord. If I can use an example of my wife, April, when she prays for me, I hope that she doesn't say, Lord, that that knucklehead Joe. but She sees me as I see her. She is a child of God first, and then my wife. When I pray for her, I pray, Lord, that that beautiful child of God, of, of yours. And then I pray for her. Imagine if we were to pray for our community. Lord, this community of people that's yours, that belongs to you, our nation that is yours, Lord, that belongs to you. Lord, heal them. Intercede for them as Moses does here. I pray for our leaders because in leadership, the difficult experience uh, with people will either make or break them the choices that they make. Moses here, He was tested with that kind of power. He was tested, but he came through faithful to the Lord, not to himself or his own desires, but faithful to the Lord's will as we see. In verse 12, Moses says, continues praying to the Lord, why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out of harm to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from their face of the earth. Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. When Moses is saying, why should the Egyptians speak? He's concerned with God's glory. God, how are you going to look? This is not going to glorify you to kill these people. Matter of fact, they're going to think badly of you. Moses was filled with compassion for his people, but his chief concern was for the honor and the glory of God. Know that we were created for God's glory. If I can share with you Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, says, everyone who was called by my name Whom I have created for my glory. I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. So understand that we all belong to the Lord and we were created for his glory. And that's the first part of the prayer that Moses brings back to Lord, for your glory. In verse 13, Moses continues, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. See, next, Moses, brought before the Lord, appealed to him on the basis of God's goodness. You see, if you ever want to know if you're praying the Lord's will, if you're leading, if you're walking in the Lord's will, find one of God's promises. There's thousands of them in Scripture. You can easily use today's internet to find one of those promises like, I'm going through this struggle here, and find a promise that fits that, and you can pray that promise. And if it's truly in line with the Lord's will, what you're dealing with in that promise, know that the Lord cannot deny himself. All right? That God is good. He is always faithful in keeping his promise. And that is the basis Moses brought before him. You can find these promises and pray, God, you have promised. God, you have promised, and he will be faithful. In verse 14, we see the result of this prayer. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. To read this, you might think that the Lord just changed his mind. Understand that God is not fickle. As a way of explaining this, if I can use myself as an example to say he relented, I picture little Joey angering my father. And my father would say to me, boy, if you don't knock that off, I'm about to, and I would stop doing what I do, and, and then I wouldn't get punished. Whew. And oftentimes, it would just be, I'd be bad enough, and he would say, son, I'm about to, and that's, he would just only, he wouldn't even get the whole sentence out. You know, he might even just be a look, boy, I'm about to punish, and I would stop sinning against my father. I would stop doing whatever was angering him, and he would relent. That is how our Lord speaks here. So understand the principle of, of God's promises of judgment are always inherently meant to call men to repentance and prayer and avert the judgment. There is one day where the prayer will no longer be and the Lord's judgment will come upon. But in today's world, we are called to pray for that and intercede for that just as Moses has done and the Lord will relent. Understand too at this point, catch this, this is Moses praying to the Lord to relent his wrath against Israel. Israel is still down there sinning. Now, Moses, at the end of this, is going to go down, and he's going to deal with the people that way. But the Lord turned from his wrath. Israel was still sinning. The Lord turned from his wrath by the prayer of Moses. By the prayer of Moses interceding for him. And that is what I hope to share with you in in the, the big scheme of today. God deliberately put Moses in this crucial place of intercession. He wanted Moses to display the heart, God's heart, for his people. A heart of love and compassion towards his people. Not looking towards them like God's gonna deal with them. Oh, they're done for now. Moses prayed to God as if heaven and earth, as if as if their salvation or destruction, and it was, depended upon his prayer. That's how we should pray for our loved ones, for our community, for our nation, the same way Moses paid for his nation, as if their salvation or their destruction depended upon it. I look to uh, Chuck Smith's commentary on this section, and he had a few notes on prayer that I'd like to share with you. Chuck notes that intercessory prayer is that form of prayer that reaches out beyond me and my own needs and brings a guilty world before God, that God might work in it. Prayer has, as Chuck noted, three forms, three basic forms and var- variations within each. The first form is that of worship, of praise, of adoration, and acknowledging God for who he is, for all his blessings that he has done in life, for all his mercies, for all that he means to us, and for the beauty of the world that he has given us. It's a continual thanksgiving within our heart because God loves us. That's the first part. The second form is that of petition, probably the one we're most familiar with. That is where we bring our needs before the Lord. I need strength. I need guidance. I need help. I need wisdom. I need so many things. And I come before God that He might supply those needs. And if we're praying those in His will, He will meet those needs. So we adore the Lord and then we bring those needs according to His will before Him. And the third part is that of the realm of intercession. It's where we bring before God the needs of our community, of our nation, of our loved ones. We no prayer is really complete, except it enters into this area of intercession. That is the humble heart where we think not of ourselves, but we think of others. It's exactly what Moses did. God made him an offer. I'll destroy them. And Moses didn't think of himself and that he would just, I'm going to end up ruling one way or the other. If those people are being knuckleheads down there, get rid of them. Give me some good ones. No, Moses intercede for them out of love for the people the same love we should have for our community, for our nation. There's five aspects of this passage of scripture that I'd like to break down and go through. The first is, and in praying for our, our, our friends and our family and our, our nation here, is that we must have an absolute trust in scripture alone. Many times throughout history, and I'll look at two parts here in just a minute, one back in Nehemiah and one in the Reformation period. Uh, In the 15th century where the reformation began one of their founding principles was they they use a latin word that that, that was called the five solas sola scriptura was the first one which means solely scripture scripture alone god's word alone moses was up on the mountain receiving god's word and that alone was what he would share with israel understand that moses never said this is what i think you should do Moses always, if you continue to read through the rest of the Old Testament, well, through Deuteronomy there, you will find that Moses is always, when things brought before him, would seek the Lord. And he would raise up men underneath him to do the same thing. Never give his own opinion, but he'd always seek the Lord. Today we have the Lord's word in our scripture, and our scripture is sufficient alone. Another time uh, where the book of the law was used to bring about a great reformation was after Israel returned from captivity in Babylon and they were rebuilding Jerusalem Ezra found the scrolls containing the law and he said oh here's what we need here's what we need to form our nation and make our nation great again he gathered them all together and they stood and he read from the scrolls it's Nehemiah chapter 8 he read it all before the people and they all agreed this is what we will do what we will follow Oh, that our nation would do the same turn to scripture scripture alone, and say we will follow that. Just a note on the power of scripture and the importance of scripture, Paul records in second Tim- his second letter to Timothy, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, he says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work may be complete, I need nothing else but God's word to be complete, I need nothing else, all scripture is giving, I need nothing else to be thoroughly equipped with a good work. There's a lot going on in today's church in America, a lot of faith healers, and so people coming forth with, they think, new revelations, have you ever heard them say, God told me this, and God told me that, and it's different from his scripture, you know, a lot of cults like activity in that way, um, there's a, quite a bit of an epidemic of Christians in America that believe that scripture alone is not enough. You know, they look to Hollywood movies. They quote them more than anything. They look towards what's the latest thing that Oprah says we should buy. You know, they look towards other things, not towards scripture for their guidance. Pray that our nation would turn to God's word alone as its source of truth. Moses didn't need a panel of advisors to talk to and committee meetings to gather with. He met to the Lord, and the Lord answered all his needs. The second aspect is the principle of justification by faith alone. The good works play no part in delivering the sinner from the penalty of sin that deserves. Israel was still sinning, still sinning. It was the faith of Moses' prayer before the Lord that saved them. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 tell us for by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest anyone should boast. Justification of the sinner is exclusively a divine accomplishment and it is by faith alone. I note that our Catholic Church is built on a system of works and righteousness. I note that I've heard the Jehovah's witness the same thing. They have works they must do, they must accomplish. I know other churches, denominational things that tell people, you must do this, and do not consider that it is our, our faith in the Lord alone. And understand that faith is an action word. It's not, a, it's not a to believe something. If I can use an example to say I believe in that chair, I believe that chair will hold me. Well, that's my belief. I can believe in God, true, but to have faith in the Lord is action. If I have faith in that chair, then I will walk down and I will sit in that chair and I will show my faith. That is how you show your faith in the Lord. It is an action word. You follow the Lord and you show that in your lives and your action. Pray that our nation grows and acts in faith according to God's truths and not our own understanding. The third aspect is salvation is made possible only by grace, grace alone. Understand that again, as I noted earlier, by Moses' prayer, God relented. Israel's still down there sinning but God's grace now Moses is going to go down there and he's going to deal with them and he's going to bring them back into God's word and they will be saved but God chose Israel first Israel was just slaves in Egypt they were they did nothing to deserve God saving them they did nothing to deserve God doing all those miracles and bringing them out they did nothing to deserve God turning his wrath from destroying them at this point Many, throughout the next few years, will start to try to follow their own ways, and they'll end up perishing as a a result. We must understand that we're saved by grace alone. Pray that our nation would accept God's grace and be saved. The fourth aspect is glorifying God should be our primary goal and our chief motivation. As Moses prayed back to the Lord, for your glory, Lord, for your glory. That is why we were created. Today's church in America teaches that God is more interested in your happiness than his glory, that it's a health and wealth and whatever type of thing. God is not a vending machine, right? He's not there to vend out and just be here to fix our problems. God is not here just to, God's not here for me. We're here for him, for his glory. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, the Lord says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another in Isaiah 43 verse 7 he says everyone who is called by name my name whom I have created for my glory I have formed him yes I have made him I referenced that verse earlier to know that we were created for his glory and God will not give his glory to anything else to anything else the church cannot be a light to the world if we're consumed with our own narcissistic greed The church is not a light to the world if we come to church just to find out what we can get out of it, what we can get back from the Lord. We become a light to the world when we share God's grace and his love and that shines through us and it's for God's glory. That's what we share. That's how we become a light to the world. Imagine if you think, how will this decision, how will this action, how will this conversation that I'm having along with everything else I do today Bring glory and honor to the Lord. Imagine if you thought that every conversation you had throughout the day. Know that we will be held accountable for all that we say. Not against our salvation, but against... Know that we are accountable for that. Imagine if every action you did were to be accountable for. Imagine if you could have the focus as Jesus did. It's one of the things that I pray for in my life. I was like, How did he have that focus that all that he did was he's after the I'm doing as his father told him to he was after the God his Lord's glory how much more my life needs to change to follow that pattern how much all of my life do I follow my own will and how much of our life do we follow God's glory how many of the conversations do I have how many actions do I take glorify the Lord and how many are for myself pray that our nation would seek to honor God and all that we do would bring him glory Finally, understand that salvation is available in Christ alone. today's age, we have an age of tolerance. No one wants to hear that salvation is found only in the person and the work of Jesus alone. We're not entitled to determine our own truth. The truth is in Scripture alone, and we must look to that alone. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, we hear that, "...nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. And in John 14, verse 6, Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's crucial for God's people to know the full revelation about Christ. It's vital to the life of the church and our usefulness. We are not to be tolerant of a watered-down gospel, as if we are ashamed of the power that it might offend If I were to challenge you, as I am challenging myself, most of all by saying this, if I were to turn to any one of my coworkers and try to think, Lord, I need to tell them about Christ, how does my heart feel? Do I feel like, oh, I don't want to offend them? Oh, I don't want to sound stupid? Oh, I don't want to think I'm crazy, I'm a nut? It is only by Christ that they can be saved. We have many examples. as. Moses brought back to his people, to the Lord, Lord, they're your people, that we must bring our people to the Lord. We must pray for them, and we must do so in action, our faithward action. I think of in, in, in the Gospels where Andrew, one of the disciples, when he finds the Messiah, he goes against his brother Peter, hey, hey, I found the Messiah, and he brings him to them. He brings him to them. He doesn't have to do much more. He just brings them to Christ. It's Christ alone that has the saving power, not me. And when I remember that, it is not me. That I have to just be that light to the Lord towards his glory and bring people to him. He will save them. As Moses sought the glory and the salvation of his people, pray that the church within our nation would boldly bring people to Christ and Christ alone for their salvation and glory. I have two more verses just to share with you to think about in praying for our nation, our nation that seems to be struggling at this point. And Habakkuk Chapter 2, verse 14, our Lord says that the earth might be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now that is a prayer. And in Malachi chapter 1, verse 11, for from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And every place incense shall be offered to my name in a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So pray, pray for your loved ones, pray for our community, and pray for our nation that we would understand that scripture alone is our truth, that we are justified by faith alone, that we seek our salvation in Christ alone, that we give the glory to God in all that we say and do. Amen. Oh, let me pray real fast, Aaron. Dear Lord, thank you for your scripture, Lord, and thank you for that beautiful prayer of Moses, that we could see an example on how to bring our loved ones to you, that they belong to you, that we should seek your glory and in your name, Father. Pray, Lord, for our community, for our nation, and for all our loved ones, Father, that we in our hearts could bring you the glory and to bring them to you, that all might be saved and that none should perish. Amen.